So how many of you enjoyed yesterday, I think like a, a nice sunny, warm Saturday, the first one in a long time? Enjoyable? Okay, you're all lying. How many of you ended up having to do yard work or garage work yesterday? Okay, I guess some of the crazier of you find that enjoyable. But uh, I spent most of yesterday cleaning our garage in celebration of the first warm, sunny Saturday. And uh, actually, it was more than just cleaning a garage, because what it ended up being for me was kind of a near conclusion of sorting through 50 years worth of accumulation of stuff that went from my parents' house to our house, basement, and garage. And over the last months, I've been going through a lot of stuff that uh, went into my house for my parents. And then yesterday was sorting through a lot of stuff that uh, ended up in the garage. And one thing I noticed, in fact, throughout that whole process, I've noticed a lot of things that have been given to my parents as gifts from either me or, or one of my siblings that are still in their package. And uh, there's quite a few of them that are in their package, and they're not even opened. And then there were some that were still in their package, but the package had been opened, but it looks like opened just long enough for them to look at it and put it back in the package. And there it has sat for a number of years. And I realized that most likely what that represented was that we gave my parents something that they either didn't really understand what it was for, or they kind of understood what it was for, but didn't really see any benefit for themselves in it. And so instead of embarrassing us, uh, they just left it in the package. And maybe the reasons, because we were all just horrible gift givers, but I don't think that's the case because I know we did give them some things throughout the years that they really, really enjoyed and got great use of. And then I realized, but that, we do the same thing. In fact, it may even be something that we purchase. We may see something on the shelf or we see something on TV and we just got to have that and we get it and it looks so good in the package. And then we open up the package and then realize it's not all that we'd hoped it would be. And so it remains in the package or we, we give it to somebody else or we send it back to the store. And then there's sometimes we received gifts from people and we have no clue what it is. And so we smile and we stick it on a shelf somewhere. And then there's those times that we get something that it looks great in the package and we open it up and it's fantastic. And the more we use it, the more we get to know it, the more we understand it. It's the best thing since sliced bread. And so we talk about it. We post things on Facebook about it. We share about it. We give other people the same thing because they just have to have it. And so I realized that when we receive something, our ultimate response, our ultimate sentiments about that are directly connected to what we conclude to be the benefit or the implications of having that item is. And I was thinking that about this this week about something that you probably wouldn't think I would tie into that little illustration. I had downloaded Ben's sermon from last Sunday, and I was listening to it on my phone as I was driving into, the, into Toronto. And it's kind of interesting listening to a sermon with your headphones in, because there's no other noise. So all I can hear is Ben and whatever background noise there might be. And as Ben was getting to the climax of last week's message, 
he read the very last verse of chapter 4 of Romans, where it says that Jesus was delivered unto death for our sins and was raised unto life for our justification. And as he read that, and as he said that, I was waiting to hear this big burst of amen in the background. But you could have heard a pin drop. And so I don't want to be judgmental. I'm assuming it's just the technology that, that when the sermons are being recorded, it, it just blocks out all the background noise. But it hit me. Being justified by faith, receiving that as a gift from God, is like any other gift. We can receive it, and it's a wonderful thing. And as we get to know it and understand it and experience it better and understand its implications and its benefits, it's a wonderful thing. And it's evident in our praise and our worship and our obedience and in our service. But others, it's kind of like that gift that gets open but stays in the package. And that's evident in our indifference, in our apathy. And for some, the opportunity to receive that gift is like a gift that never gets opened. And I got to believe that it's because we don't fully understand the truth of being justified by faith and its wonderful implications that leads us to those last two responses. Over the last while, we've been going through the book of Romans. And in the first four chapters, Paul's made it very, very, very evident that we get a problem. We got a problem of sin. We got a problem of sin that keeps us from having a relationship with God. A problem that we can't do anything to overcome. We can't earn a right relationship with God. We can't achieve or attain a right relationship with God. In fact, there's nothing within us that deserves to have a right relationship with God. But what we can't do, God has done. And so God has sent his son. And Paul says that if we put our faith, our trust, our dependence in the person of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, we can be saved. We can be forgiven. We can be declared innocent. We can be justified. And as we move into the chapter I want to start this morning, Paul joins, sorry, Paul invites those of us who have been justified by faith, to join him as we celebrate the benefits, the implications of being justified. What are the benefits? And perhaps even more important to Paul in chapter 5, how can we be confident that those benefits, the confidence that we can have, the hope that we have, how can we be sure that they will stand the test of time? How can we be confident that this whole package of being justified by faith is the real deal? And what Paul wants us to do is to join him so he can show us that when you understand justified, 
being justified by faith, and you start to, to understand and live in the implications of being justified by faith, you'll realize that this is a gift that's better than you could ever, ever have imagined. Turn uh, in your Bible to uh, Romans chapter 5, and, and let's see as Paul explains to us what these benefits are and, and explains to us why we can have confidence that they'll stand the test of time. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses. And what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read as, as we talk. Um, so I'm not going to read the whole passage and we'll get to the end of it by the time we finish our time this morning together. And so Paul begins by saying, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. And I go back to what I've said earlier. If we don't understand what it really means to be justified by faith, there's a very good chance that our response to it will either be one of apathy or rejection. In fact, we can't enjoy, we can't understand the implications, the benefits of being justified if we don't understand truly what being justified means. So let me just take a step back and, and just repeat some of the things that you've heard over the last weeks. What is justification? What does it mean to be justified? Justification is an act of God where he declares an unworthy sinner who puts their faith in the work in the person of Jesus to be innocent. Quite simple definition. To be justified means to be declared innocent. See, our fundamental problem as humans is that we have a broken relationship with God. Because of sin, having a right standing with God isn't possible. And justification is God's response To that problem. Paul says that in the gospel. God unleashes a power. To change humans. And to change us. At the most critical point. In our relationship. With him. And so when we put our faith. In the person and work of Jesus. God declares us. Innocent. Of our sin. He justifies us. He removes the barrier that exists between him and us. And just so you understand, this this declaration of innocence, it's a legal declaration. It's not just a good feeling we get. Rather, it's God, the ultimate judge, making a declaration Making a verdict once and for all that those who put their faith in Jesus are innocent. It's a costly declaration. God isn't simply overlooking sin, He's not sweeping it under a carpet, He's not pretending that it didn't exist, He's not just kind of minimizing sin. No, Paul's told us that God has laid the penalty. For our sin on Jesus. And he died on a cross to pay the price that we owed. It is a costly declaration. And it's a declaration that's made possible only by grace. 
There's nothing that we could do, could ever do. There's nothing about us that earns us that declaration. Remember in chapter 3, Paul said that we've been justified freely. Freely meaning without cause. For no reason. There's, there's nothing about us in and of ourselves that forced God to make it possible that we could be declared innocent. Paul says that we were declared to be right, sorry, to be justified freely by grace. Grace. And that means that every one of us here this morning is on equal footing. Every one of us had a problem of sin. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. Doesn't matter what sex you are. All of us are on equal footing. And by grace, God has made it possible that for any of us will put our faith in the person and work of Jesus. We will be forgiven of our sin. We will be declared innocent. And we will be placed in a right standing with God. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. And, and one other thing before I actually move into the benefits. Verse 1 is a huge contrast, chapter 5, from another verse that we talked about a few weeks ago. Remember in, in chapter 3, Paul said, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of a standard. We all fall short of a standard, the standard being the glory of God. And back then I explained to you that the glory of God is the God-likeness that we were created to bear, but we lost because of sin. And because we can't hit that standard because of sin, all of us fall short. All of us have a price to pay. And yet here in verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been declared innocent. And what's the first benefit? We have peace with God. Quite often when we think of peace, we think of a, an inner sense of well-being or, or a deep sense of security. Uh, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. Uh, we, we have this inner peace. And, and that's a good thing. We as, we as Christians can know and experience that peace. We call it the peace of God. It's an inner peace. But Paul's talking of an outer peace here. He's saying that we can have peace in our relationship with God. Another word that Paul uses is that we can be reconciled. We can experience reconciliation. And that's where two hostile parties, two parties that are opposed to each other, can have the hostility removed so that they can be at peace with each other. And that's important when you understand what's going on here. Because Paul says this peace is created out of hostility. It's while we were still sinners, while we were at enmity, while we were God's enemies, while we were at war with God, God reconciled us. In hostility, God in his love has made it possible that we can have peace with God. See, God has acted. 
God has moved. God has made it possible in the midst of this hostility that we can have peace with him. Peace with God. All of us need it. It's our greatest need. And Paul's telling us that it's, it's out of this hostility that God makes this peace possible. And so we can have peace with God. That's the first benefit that Paul points to. So we're declared to be innocent with God and a benefit of that. One of the implications of being declared innocent is that we can have peace with God. And then he continues on in verse 2. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I should have made mention of that, that last part of verse 1. Our peace with God is only possible because of Jesus Christ. Nothing we can do to create that peace. In fact, God's wrath against sin doesn't just get eliminated. As I said earlier, God's wrath against sin gets poured out on his son. And Jesus becomes our substitute. He becomes the sacrifice on our behalf. And, and his sacrifice satisfies the wrath of God. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is God's stamp of approval. That he accepts the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we're no longer at war with, with God. Rather, we are surrendering to God. And we enter into peace with God. And that's what we all need. Verse 2, it says, Through whom, through Jesus Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. First benefit is we have peace with God. The second benefit Paul points to is that we live in constant grace. God's free giving doesn't end at the moment of our salvation. His free giving continues to the, to the level that Paul can say that we actually stand in grace. In Romans, grace so far has, has described the free, unrestrained manner in which God gives and, and, and God acts. But here it takes on a, a different nuance. Paul uses the word grace to refer to the realm which God takes a sinner who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and puts them into this realm of grace. Paul would say that we've gone from being under law and now we're under grace. God's Gracious giving doesn't just end when we say Jesus come into our part and then we're left to live on our own. Paul says that we live in grace. And what does that mean? It means that grace stands over our whole Christian experience. We don't just come into a relationship with God by grace. We live out our Christian life daily by grace. 
Which means everything that we attain, everything that we achieve, all of our accomplishments, whether it's at work, with our family, in our ministry, right down to the food that's on our plate, is made possible because of God's grace. Because God is choosing to to act and to work in us and through us. And he's choosing to bless us. And, And we hear that and I hear that. But do we really, really understand that grace stands over our whole experience? There's so many times that I'm, I'm praying with my children at night. And I feel like the words I'm praying are the same words I pray every night. And it's thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that we had a safe drive. Thank you that we had a good meal. Thank you for this and thank you for that. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. Like, is this? But that's the proper attitude. Everything we have. Everything that we accomplish is because of the grace of God. And that's a benefit of being declared innocent. We live in the constant realm of grace. And even more critical to me anyways, is that living in a constant realm of grace means that we have been moved from the arena of performance to the arena of grace. We don't have to earn God's acceptability and approval. If you put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are approved. You are favored. You are accepted because you're in Christ. And this is important to Paul. We're going to see it in a couple of seconds here. Paul's dealing with some people who believe that you can't know until the very end when God decides he's going to pour out his wrath on those who are sinners and those who haven't dealt properly with the problem of sin in their life. You can't know where you stand with God until then. And so you've got to live your life from the moment that you make a decision for God till the moment that God renders uh, his final verdict. You've got to live your life in performance mode. You've got to strive. You've got to work hard. You've got to be anxious and totally stressed out that you are still in God's good books. Paul said, no. Being justified isn't a verdict that's going to be rendered on the final day of judgment. It's a verdict that is rendered now. And grace is something that we live in now. We don't have to be stressed out knowing where we stand with God if we're in Christ. We became objects of God's favor when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we continue to be objects of his favor. That's grace. And that's what it's like to live in the realm of grace. So we have peace with God. We live in the constant realm of grace. And then we come to a third benefit I was speaking at Westmount Bible Chapel a couple of weeks ago, and I was doing, looking at the Gospel of John with them. And, and uh, in my study, I came across a survey. And in the survey, uh, they asked... Um, actually, maybe it was here that I did the survey. If I'm repeating this, I'm thinking I said, shared this somewhere else. So just go with me on it. <laughs> but in the survey, did I tell you about a survey? About what, when someone asked, the, the question was what you, you look for most in life, what you'd really like most in life? Okay. I don't remember what anyone said last week either, so I don't feel bad about it. Anyways, the, the results of the survey, which surprised the people that asked the question, the top three answers, what do people want most in life? Peace, love, and hope. 
I thought it was so cool in this passage. What are the benefits of being justified, of being declared innocent? You have peace with God. Because of God's love, we are lavished with grace. And third, and the third benefit here, is we got great hope. We have a great hope. And in verse 2, Paul says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast. It means we have joyful confidence in the hope. What is, what is hope here? Well, hope is the foundation on which we, we build our life. And hope here is the certainty that God will, that we will receive from God what he's promised. And our confidence is that, that we believe that the basis on which we've placed our hope will prove to be adequate. And our hope is in what? It's in the glory of God. And now we go back to Romans 3, verse 23. Remember, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of what? The glory of God. That God-likeness that we were intended to bear. That we would be everything that God wants us to be. That we would experience everything that God wants us to experience. And what is our hope as justified uh, uh, sons and daughters of God? Our hope is that there will be a day when we will receive everything that God intends us for, for us to, to receive, that we will be everything that God intends us to be, that we will experience everything that God expects us and wants for us to experience. That's our hope. It's a great hope. And Paul says in verse 5, it's a hope that won't disappoint. You, we're not going to be disappointed in our hope. And that's the first hope that I know of that's not going to disappoint Because I make all sorts of promises to my children and to my wife and to my friends. And if they've put their confidence in my promises, it's a sorry state because I let them down all the time. But Paul says, this is a hope that won't disappoint. In verse 5 it says, this hope doesn't put us to shame. And what's Paul talking about here? Well, he's talking about what I just said earlier. There were those who believed that this, this verdict of being justified, this verdict of innocent, you can't, you can't know that yet. It's reserved till the final day of judgment. And Paul's saying, no, you can know that you're innocent. You can live in grace. You can have confidence that what God has promised, he will do. What God has promised that we'll receive, you will receive. You can be confident of that because hope doesn't disappoint. The judgment won't cause our hope to fall. The judgment won't cause God's declaration of innocence upon us, those who've put their faith in Jesus. It won't cause that verdict of innocence to fall. It will stand. And how can Paul be so confident? What's the basis of his confidence? Well, the rest of the passage, which in many places end up being three or four sermons. So I'm not going to do that to you. The rest of the passage, Paul points to three things that he bases his confidence on. Verses three and four. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Even suffering trials and tribulations cannot erase our hope. 
In fact, the world can throw at us whatever it wants. It can't take away our hope. It can't take away our certainty. It can't take away our confidence. In fact, if we respond to those situations and circumstances of trial, tribulations, and sufferings, not only is our hope not erased, it ultimately is strengthened. We are going to experience suffering and trials and tribulations. God works through through those to accomplish his purposes, to strengthen us, to mold us, to prune us. And when we respond to them correctly, we, we throw our dependence upon God in those situations. And Paul says that that ultimately grows and strengthens our hope. So not even suffering can take our hope away. And then in verses 5 and six, uh, five through 8, Paul points to the magnitude of God's love for us in Christ. And in verse 5, the second part of it says that, that love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God doesn't love us in little tiny portions. His love is poured out inside of us. And the Holy Spirit helps us subjectively to know that God loves me. I am loved. And then the rest of 5 through 8, a very popular portion of Scripture, Paul object, points objectively to where we can see this, this unbelievable love that God has for us. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, I got a confession to make. There's only a couple of people in this building that I think I would die for. Most of you don't, I, I'm just being honest, most of you, I'm probably not going to throw myself in, a bullet, in front of a bullet for, I don't think. But those that I love the most, my family, I, I really think I would throw myself in front of a bullet for. Paul says here that God demonstrates his love, that while we were enemies, while, while we were resisting him, while we rejected him, while we're living life for ourselves, while we want nothing to do with him, he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. That's love. And Paul points to that magnitude of love that God has for us in Christ as his confidence that his hope will stand, that God will do and accomplish all he's promised to do. And in verses 9 and 10, Paul points to the magnitude of the work that God has done for us in Jesus. And in verses 9 and 10, I'll just paraphrase them here so I can go a little bit quicker. Paul says, listen, it's, it's a common writing technique from back then, going from greater to lesser. And what Paul says, if God has, has declared us innocent, if God has reconciled us, if he's brought us into a relationship of peace with him and it cost him this the the life of his son if he did all of that he went to that extent how much more then can we have confidence that god will ultimately save us in the day of judgment god has done a great work for us in christ and then in verse 11 with which i will conclude Paul lays out one final benefit here in this passage. And that is that God himself becomes our great reward. 
God himself is our reason to boast. We can have joyful confidence in God himself for what he has done through Jesus in our behalf. On Facebook, we often will put or we'll see others put postings of something that they've bought, something that they've received, something that they've just tried, that they find great pride in, that they're so excited and ecstatic about, and they got to tell everybody about. And so I've read about recipes. I've read about uh, new uh, pieces of uh, equipment. Uh, I've talked about destinations to go. Wouldn't it be marvelous if Facebook was just filled with those of us who have experienced justification, who've been declared innocence, who knows what it is to have peace with God, to live in grace, to have a hope that will never disappoint, that we would fill Facebook declaring the praises of our God for what he's done for us through his son, Jesus. Amen.